So we're on week three of four weeks, four-week series on worshiping God. So why do a series on worshiping God? Why teach on that? It struck me this, more, uh, this week, to put it this way, we were created to worship God. You were made to worship God. And just like a, a Formula One race car was created to go at, I looked it up, 370 kilometers per hour, so you were created to worship God, which means that you will be the most alive and you'll experience the greatest joy when you are worshiping God as revealed through Jesus Christ. That'll be the most alive for you and the greatest joy for you because the greatest, infinitely greatest joy in the universe for any of us is beholding God's glory as revealed in Christ and loving him and adoring him and exalting him and praising him. So we don't want Grace Church to be chugging along at 30 kilometers per hour or even at 200 kilometers per hour. We want the, the full package that God's given to us. We want 370 kilometers per hour of worshiping God. And so we're teaching on worship from God's word to rev, rev us up in terms of what does the word of God teach? How can we worship in spirit and in truth? So that's one picture. Another reason is because the Bible teaches, and, and there's some mystery here, that the more we worship, the more of God's power is poured out. Look at what he writes, what God puts in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. This is a fascinating passage. Israel was being attacked by enemy forces who vastly outnumbered them and it looked hopeless. And so they came together and they prayed and said, God, what should we do? And God said, I will fight the battle for you. You just go out and watch what I do and here's what happens. Verse 21. And when King Jehoshaphat had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Imagine you're part of that worship team. You're going before the army. You get that? Okay. And say, here's what they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. God fights the battle for them by causing their opponents to kill each other. And did you notice when God did that? I underlined the word. It's right there in verse 22. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against them. The more we worship, the more God's power will be poured out upon us. Now, let me just caution you that there's two ways that can be misunderstood. And we, don't, we want to follow everything that the Scripture says. So there's, there's two ways the Scripture would, would help us understand that. One is, we never worship God to get something else besides God. 
We don't worship God to get healing. God loves to heal. He doesn't, sometimes he chooses not to heal, but he loves to heal. But we don't worship God to get healing. We don't worship God to get money, right? We worship God to get what? God. God is our prize. He is our portion. He is our joy. To know God in the person of Jesus Christ is everything. So we don't, we don't worship God to get more power, but God does tell us that the more we worship, the more he'll be working. Worship is not an irrelevant thing to our hearts or the world around us. When we worship, sin's power will be broken in us. When we worship, unbelief will be defeated. When we worship, the powers of darkness around us will be pushed back. As we worship, God will pour out his power. I also want to make it clear that it's, it's not the case that, that when we worship and God brings his power, that means that, that when God's people worship, everybody's going to be healed, right? I, again, I want to be really clear about this. We don't miss it. God, God loves to heal, but he doesn't always heal. And sometimes in his love, in his wisdom, he allows the sickness to remain because he's got a better gift, more of him in that illness and that sickness. Some of you know that very well. You've experienced it. Some of you are experiencing it. We're honored to stand with you in that. But God pours out more of his power as we worship. So those are some of the reasons why we're doing a series. We want to experience all that God has for us. Oh, worship is our life. We don't want to settle for a little bit of life. We want all the life we can get. And we want all the impact in our hearts and in Abu Dhabi that we can through worshiping him. That's why we're doing a series on worship. And this morning we're going to study Psalm 95, which gives us some more details about how to go about worshiping. So follow along with me as I read this psalm. And as I read it, I want you to notice we're working on how to study the Bible. So notice the commands that are given and the reasons that are given for those commands. Follow along with me. Verse 1 starts right off with some commands. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It's a long list of commands there, and here's reasons given in verses 3 to 5. For, that's the word because, the word since, it shows that a reason, reasons are coming. For the Lord is a great God, as we've already sung this morning, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Powerful reasons. Then in verse 6, more commands. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Then in verse 7, reasons why. For, because, since, he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Then at the end of verse 7, another command. Today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Wow. There's Psalm 95. Now, commands and reasons. And let me just start by having us think about this question. Why is it important to distinguish commands from reasons? We've talked about this the previous weeks. Let me just highlight this again. The reason we need both reasons and commands is because we aren't always motivated to obey the commands, right? And so God in his great love doesn't just give a list of commands, he gives reasons why. And this is especially pertinent on this series of worship because there are many, many times when we will come Friday morning and not feel like worshiping the Lord, right? We may come and what we are totally feeling mostly isn't love for Christ and join him, but worry about maybe your children in your home country or your parents in your home country. Maybe you're deeply worried about them this morning. Or maybe instead of coming and your highest joy is the Lord Jesus and all that he is, instead of him being your highest joy, your highest joy is thinking about going on a vacation coming up or going to see Downton Abbey or something, right? Just different things that, are, that can be in our hearts. That's why God gives us reasons. Because as we read about why, who are you, God? Show me who you are. As we pray over the reasons and think deeply about the reasons, the Holy Spirit will come and use the truth of those reasons to change our hearts. So I can trust you for my children and my parents in my home country. Or Downton Abbey may be cool, but you are glorious in my exceeding joy, right? That's why reasons are so important. So don't neglect the reasons. And let's look right now and dig a little deeper into each of these reasons. And let's let God touch our hearts right now to stir even more in our hearts love for Christ, praise to God, adoration of him. First reason he gives, right there in verse 3, God is the greatest king above all other gods. Read verse 3 again. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now, don't just read over that. Stop and Linger over that. Think about it. The Lord is a great God. He is great in power. He is great in wisdom. He is great in love. He is great in authority and sovereignty. He's great in wrath. And praise God because of Jesus, he's even much, much greater in mercy and forgiveness and compassion. So God is a great God. Oh, Lord, stir us with that. And not only that, he's a great king above all gods. There's only one 
true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who promised that he would send the Messiah, who then sent Jesus, revealed himself in Jesus, his son, who came and Jesus died to pay for the sins of all who would trust him so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God and redeemed and known by him and adopted into his family. There's one God and he is a great God and a great king above all gods. He is the greatest being in the universe, infinitely so. Second reason, God created the entire earth, verses 4 and 5. In his hand, picture God's hand, are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. Think about the depths of the earth. So the deepest part of the ocean is the Mariana Trench, almost 11 kilometers below sea level. It's all in God's hand. And the highest mountain, as you all know, is Mount Everest, over eight and a half kilometers high. That all belongs to God. He's created all of that. And then we have the sea is his. How much water is in the sea? 352 quintillion gallons. So you've got billions, trillions, I guess quadrillions, and then you've got quintillions, okay? He just spoke it into existence. How much land mass is there? His hands formed the dry land, 57 million square miles. He's created it all. The whole earth belongs to him, which means Abu Dhabi belongs to him. Your home country belongs to him. He is so great. We worship him. And then a third reason. God is our God shepherding us as sheep in his pasture. Beginning of verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Think about it. God is your God. God has committed himself to you in a covenant relationship described by the promises that are in the scriptures. He's entered into a covenant with you. He is committing himself to you. And the reason he can do that, even though we've all sinned against him, is because, like I said earlier, Jesus came and he died to pay for all the sins of all who would trust him. And so because you are trusting Jesus, you are forgiven by God. And he says, I'm for the, for the rest of eternity, I'm going to be your God. All of my love is devoted to caring for you. All of my wisdom to bringing you everlasting joy in me forever. All of my power to bringing you, keeping you, blessing you, helping you, protecting you, encouraging you. All of who I am is devoted to you. He is our God. And that means that he cares for us like a shepherd cares for sheep. Don't you love that picture? Shepherds guide their sheep. You are not alone here in the decisions you have to make. God will guide you. Glorious news. He will provide for you. You are not on your own financially. He promises to provide for you. He will guide. He will provide. He will protect. He will love. He will care for. God is our God, and he cares for us like a shepherd cares for sheep. Do you see how powerful these reasons are? Lord, we love you. We worship you. You're so great. So glorious. 
Those are the reasons that the author gives to us. And as, as we pray over truths like these, the Holy Spirit will take our stone-cold hearts and soften them with his love. He will take our hearts, which are all excited about some frivolous nothing over here, and he'll bring us back home. Oh, yes, you are my joy. You are reality, right? We all know how that is. Or something that's weighing you down, something that's discouraging you. He'll show you his promises, his love. He'll give you hope, and he'll free you to worship. This is what God does through the, the reasons. So that's why we should do the things that the author is calling us to do here in terms of worship. And so what is he calling us to do? How do we then express that worship that's in our hearts? And I took all the commands here and I, I clumped them into three groups. See if this makes sense to you. The first group is singing joyful thanks and praise to the Lord. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. God calls us to sing. Think about it. God is saying, thou shalt sing. Okay? I, I counted, and over 40 times in the Bible, we are commanded to sing. Sing, sing, sing. Now, let me show you two more passages in the New Testament just to drive this point home. Look at Matthew 26, 30. It's a beautiful passage. Jesus has just finished serving the Lord's Supper, communion, to his disciples, the bread and the cup. Passover, right there. And look at what happens next. Verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Picture Jesus with his disciples. Man, let's, let's sing Psalm 95. Man, let, let's sing Psalm 103 together. And they just start singing, singing to the Lord. So you think, man, you think worship isn't for men? Think again. Jesus and the disciples are worshiping God in song. Look also at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Very powerful passage. Paul writes, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So instead of seeking the joy of getting drunk, we have a far better joy seeking the filling of the Spirit in worship, infinitely better than, than the joy of drunkenness. That's what Paul is calling us to pursue here. And, and part of the way we do that is with singing, Paul says. Now, why singing? Why, why do we sing? We could think, well, we just came up with the idea of singing, but no, God created singing. The Bible says that God sings. God created music. Don't you love music? It's a beautiful gift from God. And the reason that God has given us music and singing <clears throat> is because when we sing truth, we're able to feel its 
beauty and significance more than if we just speak truth. Speaking truth is helpful. That's what I'm doing right now. But singing truth helps us see and feel the beauty of its truth all the more. Here's how Martin Luther put it. He says, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to human beings to let us know that we should praise God with both word and music, namely by proclaiming the word of God through music. That's why God commands us to sing. Because as we sing his truth, we will feel his glory more deeply than if we just spoke the truth. Now notice in Ephesians 5, our worship points in two different directions. Did you catch that? The end of verse 19, Paul says we sing and make melody to the Lord. So our worship is to you, Lord Jesus, to you, God the Father. As we're worshiping, we're talking to God the Father and Jesus the Son. I love you, Lord Jesus. Father, I praise you. You are beautiful. You're glorious. Because something powerful happens in the human heart when we lift our attention to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and we love and we adore and we praise. Powerful things happen in our hearts. That's what your heart was made for. That's when your heart's like, mmm, this is why I'm here. So direct your worship to God. Don't just sing truths, but sing truths to God, to his son Jesus. So worship is addressed to God and to Jesus' son. But notice that worship is also addressed to each other, Paul says. Did you catch that in this verse? Beginning of verse 19. <clears throat> Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. <clears throat> How can we be addressing each other if we're singing to God the Father and Jesus the Son? Well, here's how I think it works. When you are singing to God the Father and Jesus, and those around you are also singing to God the Father and to Jesus, loving, adoring, worshiping, others are, are, are hearing your singing, right? They are hearing your love for God. They're, oh, thank you, Mary. So kind. So they, they're hearing your worship of God, your joy in God, your love for God. They're hearing the truth about God. And you know, just even this morning, how, you're hearing others singing, thinking, oh, this is so true, right? You're hearing people around you singing. It's like, yes, yes, yes. So even though you're singing to God and to Jesus, you are addressing others because they're being encouraged by your singing praise to him to sing praise to him themselves. You've all experienced that, haven't you? So we're addressing God and we're addressing each other and it's beautiful what results through that. Okay. Um, so understand you being here singing is extremely important because your voice, I know some of you have better voices than others. I, I have no singing voice. I, I croak. That's a joyful noise, so it works, right? Okay. But see, even just hearing somebody like me singing, it's like, well, he can't sing, but he, he's enthusiastic, so this is awesome, right? So your being here singing is a way you can bless your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Singing worship to God is one of the most important things that we can do as a church in terms of worship. So be here, 
before the first song starts. Don't miss any, it's like the worship team like lays out a banquet for us. You got your appetizers, you got your soups coming, you got your salads, and you got the main course, okay? So don't miss any part of it because they prayerfully think through how are we gonna be brought into the, into the banquet room of God. So don't, don't miss any of the songs. Come here early so that you can take your children to children's ministry, get a coffee if you want, catch up with some friends, and then come in before the first song starts so that you can prepare your heart and move into worship. And then sing, sing, sing. Okay, that's the first set of commands. And the second is bowing, kneeling, and other physical expressions. Let me just take a drink here quickly. Very good. Okay, bowing, kneeling, and other physical expressions. This is a touchy topic. Um, unfortunately, there's controversy in the church today about this. There are some Christians, I think well-meaning, who think that you know, unless you're raising your hands, you're just not worshiping the Lord. And so, just, it, so you have to raise your hands to worship the Lord. That's what some Christians, I think, well-intended well think. But there's other Christians who say, well, that's not right. And if they're going to say that, then none of us are going to raise our hands at all. We're just going to sit here, okay, because they're wrong. And both of those are wrong. It was very unfortunate. That lets a little bit of, of a parody, but you, you get my point. So what should we do? Let's look at what the Bible says. Look at what we see in God's Word. Verse 6, the author calls us to bow and kneel. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So he's calling us to kneel, to bow down. And there's other passages where we're called to use other physical expressions. Look at Psalm 47.1. We're encouraged to clap our hands. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 134, verse 2, we're urged to lift up our hands to God in worship. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now let's be clear. What's most important in worship is not what's happening with physical expressions. What's most important in worship is what's happening in the heart, right? That is what God's looking at, the heart, okay? All important. And somebody who is sitting quietly worshiping the Lord can be worshiping just as much as somebody who's kneeling, bowing, standing, raising their hands, whatever. Are we clear? Very important to understand that. No one's looking, no one's comparing, that's not an issue, okay? But why then does the Bible urge us to kneel, bow, clap our hands, raise our hands? Why? I think it's because we're, we're holistic beings and our physical expressions can, our physical gestures can express our heart feelings towards God and can intensify our heart feelings towards God. Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say that I was at home, that Jan and I were at home and she's across the room and, and all of a sudden I'm just, uh, I, I look over across the room and I, I say, Jan, I love you. I would feel it, I would mean it, I've just spoken the truth, that would be very, I would love that. But now imagine that instead of just speaking from across the room, I, I get up and I walk over to Jan and I take her in my arms, I look her in the eyes and say, Jan, I love you. 
Now, I'm even feeling it even more right now as I just think about doing that, okay? But you see how that works? Well, what changed? Well, I, my, I was, I was, more of me was engaged in communicating that to her. And so the feeling grew and intensified. And so physical posture, physical expression, can not just express what's in the heart, but it can increase what's in the heart. And that's why I think God encourages us in this direction. For example, kneeling or bowing before the Lord can deepen your sense of humility before God. It's like, that's right, I, this is not as low as I should be before God. And it'll increase your sense of God's supremacy over you, above everything. Kneeling, bowing can deepen what's happening in your heart. Clapping your hands can increase your joy in the Lord. Lifting your hands can do a couple things. I've experienced it increasing just my praise God. It's like, you are glorious. I'm talking about you, you. I'm looking, I'm looking heavenward. You are glorious. It just makes it more real to me. It also can, can deepen my sense of neediness before God. If I'm praying and saying, God, please, I need guidance here. I don't know what to do. I'm battling this temptation. Help me. And just to put your hands on, like, it deepens what's going on in your heart. Can you understand how that, how that would work? That's why God encourages us in this, in this direction. Okay, now, some of you men might think this is just for the women. Just getting real here. Okay, but here's my illustration for you. Think about this. You're at your favorite rugby team's game, final game of the, of the season, okay? You're there with your buddies. You're all sitting there, and, um, and there's like five seconds left in the game, and it's tied, and your team scores the, the next point, and you, and you win. And you're all going to be sitting there on the bench just saying, dudes did it, didn't they? They're awesome. Love those guys. They're incredible. Have you watched a rugby game? Yes! Yes, yes, yes! Yes, 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 right? Case closed. <laughs> now, if this is brand, a brand new thought for you, it might feel really awkward and maybe a bit uncomfortable this morning. I totally get it. And what I would encourage you to do is just start in the privacy of your home. And maybe next time you pray, kneel down, bow down and, and, and pray. And say, Lord, help me understand why this is important and, and, and how this can be meaningful. Just in the privacy of your home. And, and, and see what God does. Watch what God does. That would be my, my encouragement to you. So that's the second category of, of commands in this passage is bowing, kneeling, and other physical expressions. There's a third category of command, puzzling one. Do not harden your heart against God's word. Now the first half of this psalm is all about joyful worship. The second half, though, is this serious warning about don't harden your heart against God, don't disobey God. Why is that in this psalm about worship? Let's read it again, and let's talk about it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart 
and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The author's talking about what happened back in Exodus chapter 17. Meribah and Massa. God had delivered Israel from Egypt with, remember the plagues, amazing demonstrations of his supernatural, gracious, merciful power. He delivered them. And then he parted the Red Sea so they could go across safely and brought the Red Sea back over Pharaoh's armies to protect God's people. And then as they're in the wilderness with no water and no food, he supernaturally, miraculously provides them with water and with manna. And then they're brought to this wilderness of scene where there's no water. And you think the people would be just like, we can trust God? Because God said, trust me, trust me, trust me. You'd think they, they would have trusted him. That's not what they did. They said, there's no water here. You're gonna, you brought us out here to have us die of thirst. You should have left us back in Egypt. God, what are you doing? And they were hardening their hearts against God, refusing to obey his command, to trust him. He had shown them his faithfulness all through their journey up to that point. They had not had any needs that were unmet, and yet here they hardened their hearts before God, just as we've done at times, right? And God says, none of this generation is going to enter the promised land. You're going to wander for 40 years until you all die, and then I'll take the children who are too old to know any better yet, and their children into the promised land. Very sobering passage. And it's even more sobering because the author of Hebrews applies these verses to us, the New Testament church today. Very sobering. He warns us that if we harden our hearts toward God and do not obey God, if we hold on to some known sin without confessing it, without battling it, without turning from it. If we have some area of sin in our life that we're just embracing, this is mine. I've given God a lot. This is mine. If we're holding on to some area of sin like that, the author of Hebrews says, you will not enter God's rest, which means you will not go to heaven. Not because you've lost your salvation. That's impossible but because if anyone continues to hold on to sin knowingly without fighting it, without confessing it, it shows that they've not been saved to begin with. So what does this have to do with worship? Psalm 95. How is this important for worship? It's because, here's my thought, you, you search, search the scriptures, see if this makes sense. It's because it's possible for us to be deceived by sin. We all battle this. It's possible for somebody to come into a worship gathering like this and they think, because I'm here in church, because I'm worshiping God, because I'm lifting my hand, because I'm kneeling, because I'm singing, this surely makes up for this one area of sin that I'm hanging on to. So they're disobeying God. They're hardening their hearts against God in that area. Now, that might sound shocking that somebody could do that. It shouldn't. Sin is very deceitful. But some of you are thinking, uh, that, that, that's me. 
Do not harden your hearts. When you gather for worship, don't think that your being here worshiping is going to make up for an area of sin you're clinging to. Don't think, well, because I'm in church, it's okay that I'm lying on my time card at work. Surely me being in church and singing these worship songs would cover that. And even though God has said, thou shalt not steal, and the answer is no, it, it does not. Don't think that because you're here and enthusiastically shouting out praises to God, singing praises to God, that that covers the fact that you are not forgiving this person in your life who has hurt you, even though Jesus said, forgive as I have forgiven you. We can think that just the fact that we're part of the church body here, listening to the scriptures, listening to the sermon, worshiping God, that that covers the fact that even though I'm married, I'm flirting with this man or this woman at the workplace. No, it does not cover that. See, it's impossible to worship God from the heart and say, you are everything to me while you're holding on to some area of known sin. You can't do it. If you're holding on to an area of known sin, you're just, you're just putting on a front in terms of worshiping God, right? That's what's happening. And the author of Psalm 95 and the author of Hebrews 3 doesn't want us to be deceived. And so he says, do not Harden your heart. When you come in here to worship, we, we've all sinned this week, right? Right. We have all sinned this week. So we come, we say, I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy to be here. But Jesus, you loved me and you gave yourself up for me. I'm trusting you. So because of your death on the cross, I'm forgiven. Help me to battle my sin. I want to turn from my sin. I don't want to sin in this area anymore. Help me. And when we pray that prayer, God the Father is running toward us with joy and with love and with everything that we need to battle those areas of sin. We just say, Lord, I'm going to turn from it and say, help me. That's all we need to do. And then God's running toward us with everything we need. I hope that's Hope giving to you. I, I want you to feel the weight of these words. They shall not enter my rest. If you are holding to an area of known sin that you're not letting go, you need to be trembling at those words. But let that trembling then urge you to turn from your sin and say, help! Because the moment you say help from the heart to God through Jesus, he will be coming to you with all the forgiveness and heart change and power over sin that you need. Do you hear that? Tremble and then cry out for help and he will meet you. He is abounding in mercy and forgiveness and love to all who call upon him. Does that make sense, church? So here's what we've seen. Three commands. First command is sing joyful thanks and praise to God because God is a great king over all the gods. Second, bow, kneel, lift your hands because God is our God, shepherding us in his pasture. And then don't harden your hearts towards God's word because that would show we've not been saved, that we're not trusting Christ, which would mean we won't enter God's rest. So turn from the sin to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, help me. I trust you to forgive me through your death on the cross. I trust you to change my heart. 
I trust you to give me everything I need to say no to that area of sin. And he will lavish you with his grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and you will be transformed right here and right now. That's what he does. That's the gospel. That's our Jesus. We've all experienced that. That's why we worship and praise him. Let's stand. God, I pray that you would pour out even more of your grace upon us right now to see you more clearly in these reasons, to turn from any sin we've been holding to, to turn to you and say, help us. We want to worship you. We want to adore you. We want to love you. Come and move in our midst right now, I pray. In Jesus' name.